and hello good people of the interest, it is I, Tommy Kelly, this is Adventures in Woo Woo. Once again back in Ravensdale, my favourite place in the world. And once again we're doing the monthly questions and answer session or the ask me anything session where people over on Discord and Patreon send in some questions and I answer them to the best of my ability, my best current understanding with <laughs> the knowledge and foresight that I may change my mind about them in the future. But uh, it's just where I'm at at the minute and uh, it may be helpful and maybe insightful to other people to see what I think about things. That <laughs> may not, may not. So uh, we have to do this in two sections. So there'll be a follow-up video, this will be part one, and there will be part two coming out possibly next week, maybe earlier. Just because I've rambled on uh, on a couple of questions and I've just run out of time. But I had the good questions and what rambling on about. If you want in on this, just join the Discord or join the Patreon. And around the second week of every month, uh, I put up this uh, question and answer thread and you can ask me any question you want. Over in the Discord, there's a, a channel that's open the entire time where you can just stick in your questions at any point and you can leave your questions there and I will add them to the next video. So, it's starting to rain. Let's get the Scooby gang out of here. So, enjoy the questions, hopefully enjoy the answers and I'll talk to you all soon. Turismo, in one of your old videos, you said something about meeting John Constantine, or Constantine, depending on who you ask, Alan Moore definitely has opinions. I'm thinking about invoking one of Stephen King's characters to help me out with some personal goals. Any advice? Well, what that was about when I met John Constantine, I was doing a lot of lucid dreaming, or at least tried to make lucid dreams happen. And I was quite successful at that time. Whatever was going on, I had a number of very intense lucid dreams in a very short period. I haven't really had many since, but I, I was deliberately kind of trying to encourage it at the time. Not necessarily by doing all the usual stuff that people do with lucid dreams. You know, where to, you know, to hold their breath, um, do the check, the reality check thing, or to, you know, to snap a elastic all during the day so that when they're in the dreams they can do the same thing and it will tell you if you're dreaming or not. It all gets a bit inception-y. I was just had a thing that before I went to bed each night, that if it so happened that I became lucid in a dream, that I would have a plan to meet someone, to do something, you know, so rather than getting caught back up in a dream, and one of them was to meet Ganesha, which I kind of did, although he was, uh, there was a number of obstacles between me and him on a train station track. And but, but another one of them was uh, to meet John Constantine. So I was in a bar, as you would be, to meet John. I, <laughs> I just said, John, John, where are you? Come, and he walks in the bar. And he looked like uh, John Constantine from the TV show. A bit, not, not fully, like uh, Matt Ryan, is that his name? But also a bit like the... Uh, but like staying in a bit like the, the character from the, the comics. Not Keanu Reeves, funny enough. His, his message to me when he came up to me or whatever, I, don't, I didn't manage even to get to say anything to him, but what he said to me is, if I believed what you believed, I could do anything. And uh, I never fully worked out what exactly that meant, uh, because an awful lot of what I believe I felt was quite limiting and allowed me not to do many of these things. John assured me that no, if he believed what I believed, he could do anything. So that was kind of interesting. So advice to people who want to do something similar is there's loads of different techniques you can use to try and do lucid dreaming. Just loads. And you'll find some that work, some that don't. But always have an intention of what you're going to do because it's kind of like showing up or invoking something just to see if you can do it. And then, you know, the spirit, the demon, the angel, whoever shows up and you kind of go, uh, well, I don't, I, nothing to ask you. You know, so you should have some sort of plan what, like, you want to do. Do you want to meet John Constantine? Do you want to meet Ganesha? Have you some questions for these people? And just, I suppose, also be careful in the sense what you're calling up. Because, like, Stephen King's characters, 
depending on which one you want to talk to, you know, they're not all particularly great people or great kind of entities or whatever. And so I would be hesitant about doing stuff where you're calling up something terrible. Like, why? Like, I can't really think of a really good reason to do that, considering there's so many alternatives that are less hazardous or less conducive to bad mental health or whatever. But you do you, you, you know, whatever you want. That's just my kind of prerogative on that and my kind of view on it, that why go to a demon when there's plenty of other safer, easier, as powerful people on your side rather than people who want to morally lead you astray. So yeah, if you want to do it in a kind of a more synchronistic thing where you actually want to meet them in real life or have some sort of contact, I would suggest even though Alan Moore says he met John Constantine twice in real life, once was during a magical invocation and once was in a cafe or in a canteen, um, it's, it's, it's more unlikely that that's going to happen, that the character of Stephen King book is going to show up, but not unlikely. Uh, not too unlikely, or not impossible. I mean, like you could see them maybe in a, at a distance, as Alan Moore did in the canteen, on a train, passing the street, or something like that. But you could probably be more likely to get some sort of sync around it, like a TV show, lyrics from songs, something someone says that resonates with you. And so sigils can be great for that. Can really good sigils can be really good for instigating synchronicities. So I'd say doing something like that. Other option, of course, is if you're doing something to invoke or evoke someone, is you, you know the classical kind of famous famously made by uh, made famous by Grant Morrison where you call up he called up John Lennon and what he did is he gathered all the things he could that represent John Lennon and excluded everything that didn't represent John Lennon so he had album covers you know music that he associated with it pictures symbols whatever he had all of these things he talks about indivisibles he talks about it in different lectures and John Lennon arrives so you could do something like that too where it'll be more the feel of this character and I've done things like that with Mercury um, one of the very first things I did on Adventures and Woo website, the blog, was about doing something like that with Mercury, and he did show up. So I'll leave a link in the show description. So yeah, that's kind of it. That's all I can really say about that. Have a plan. Know what you're doing. Don't just call them up to have a chat. Have a reason why you're calling them up. Um, even if that's just, can you give me some advice, some general advice, so that you're not just kind of standing there going, uh, I was just seeing if this would work. And don't call up anything that you, can't, you don't have the power to banish. You know, if you're not that powerful of a wizard... Don't be calling up, you know, Cthulhu or whatever it is. These entities, these archetypes, these ideas, these egregores are quite powerful. Even if they're not real, they can still kind of fuck with you a bit. So just be careful. Be careful out there, man. MJM, could you talk generally about your experience so far of scrying the eaters? I'm especially interested in how long after the call for the imagery to start, whether they feel different to other active imaginations experiences you've had, and if you and Spud are getting similar stuff. So for those who don't know, myself and Spud have been scrying the Enochian Aethers. For people who don't know what that is, it's essentially a kind of active imagination exercise where you do a call in Enochian, call up the governors of a certain level or Aether or position, you then see what happens or what, you know, in a vision, if you want. Um, a number of people have done it. Uh, famously, uh, Crowley has done it. People like Duncan Barford have done it. He's wrote a book about it. Currently, um, Jason Mandel, Nuggan, A Lamp in the Underworld is doing it. A number of people have done it. There's plenty of places you can check out people's visions. And if you want to know how to do it, uh, check out Lon Milo the Cat's Enochian Vision Magic. He also has a nice uh, lecture series about it too that he has on his website. So, after that preamble, we have been doing it. We've done five now so far. Yesterday we did Dez, and uh, the names sometimes be funny because Dez is, is kind of, I don't know, he'd be like a 
possibly a barber or something, Des. But there's two visionary type things that I can have when I do active imaginations or I do journeying or any of these things. And one of them is just the kind of, I assume, standard, I don't know, where you, like, it looks like a dream. There's stuff playing it in your mind's eye in the same way that if I now think of a red apple, I see it somewhere in here or in this kind of field that feels around my head. You know, it's in colour. It's the same thing that I, I have when I go to, you know, before I go to sleep or I'm imagining something, all of that kind of stuff, the active imagination stuff. Some people don't have that, but most people seem to do. The another is that I literally see things in front of my eyes as they're closed, like as if there's somehow light bouncing off my retinas or on, it's like the vision is on, you know, my eyelids or something. And it's very cloudy. It's like ink in water. But that's way more high definition than the active imagination. That looks like I'm actually looking at something that, you know, that if you've seen a, say, a lion's head, it's an actual 3D lion's head, but like in a cloud or inky water or something like that. And it's all in monochrome. There's no real colors, although occasionally you can have, you don't have to press your hands against your eyes. You can sometimes see colors by just, you know, because you're messing with your eyes, but it's definitely not in color. So the first two was like that, where it was just the stuff in front of my eyes and it felt very random. There was no narrative. It was one thing after another. It was very quick. There was a lot of directionality, things changing around, just pure symbolism. My first kind of foray, one of my first forays into this kind of area of stuff was through Stuart Wilde. And he talked about the whole thing with meditation of, when you get to a point of meditation, you start seeing these symbols, you start seeing these things in front of your eyes. And he described them exactly the way I, I could see them. And he would say, you know, it, it's as almost as if, the, you know, your subconscious or the spirit world or whatever it is, is communicating to you through symbols, which, you know, few people like Carl Jung also agreed with. Um, but sometimes you just go, well, I don't know what that means. What's that lion's head turning into a Mars bar? You know, and you kind of go, I don't know. So you just kind of have to go with it and take note of it. And hopefully, you know, sometime in the future, it will make more sense to you. But in the last three, you've been definitely more active imagination, you know, the uh, movie playing out in, in front of your, front of my, uh, in my, my uh, mind's eye, rather than in front of my eyes. And they have more, have more of a narrative. There, there's a lot more humor in it. I seem to be coming up against the same type of character, even though I sh you, it technically probably shouldn't because you're calling in different governors, you're going to different places that you should be experiencing different, well, experiencing different governors and experiencing different people or different things. But a kind of feeling that it looks a bit like, or feels like that it's different levels of things rather, you know, so it's like each one is an onion layer deeper of the same thing. And that feel, that's my feeling of it. So it'll be saying the same stuff or presenting the same truth or unfolding whatever it is that it's unfolding. But ultimately it's all the same story, let's say for want of a better word, not a great word, or, or presentation or whatever, what, suchness, doesn't it? You know, oneness, all of that stuff. But it, you're uncovering a deeper level of, of it each time and symbolism slightly changes the movement slightly changes. I know that would make sense then why the first two were kind of quite random, say. Because it's the first thing you approach, it's a random symbol, oh, you know, you're trying to work this stuff out and then it becomes more, it becomes clearer. You know, the more you go down, it gets deeper, heavier. The symbolism becomes more solid, more well-formed, there's more of a narrative. You can orientate yourself better within it, even though it's all a bit strange and you're in, deserts or pyramids or whatever it is that it's it feels more tactile tangible or something that feels more i could probably work this out and then the last one was actually that i asked the guy who are you and you got an actual answer which i wouldn't have got in the first two sessions 
because I just would have got like a, a beer mug, a camera, a large camel. And that even that, that seems to be true as well of the communication stuff that we did with, say, with Black or with the other kind of Estes method stuff or the earlier Tasta rituals, where the stuff seems a bit more random or a bit more disjointed. And by that, I don't mean it's probably pointing to the same thing and it's the same truth, but it's just not as cohesive or succinct or understandable. Perhaps, the, you know, we have to fall down into these levels in order to understand the symbolism. Or, you know, it's essentially, I suppose, it's dumbing it down to a level that you can understand. So we kind of think of with the Enoki leaders that you're starting and you're going deeper into the, the truth. But what it could be is that the first thing is the truth and then it spends the next 30 years trying to explain that to you in simpler and simpler terms, like, until you understand it. Like, that feels right now as I'm saying it, but, you know, we have a tendency to get things upside down and the wrong way around. So progressing through the eaters might actually be, in a sense, regressing, but you need understanding of these things in order to understand and appreciate what you were first presented with. How often does that happen in life where you learn some huge life lesson and then you realise that you've been told it a million times and you go, oh yeah, but well now I get it. But it had to be presented in a way that you were able to integrate it. So the question about how quick does the uh, imagery start coming in, it's almost immediate for me. It's almost immediate for Spud to, after the call, it just, it's, you know, less than a minute before things start happening. If you have an issue with it, and if you can't get the thing to kick start, start um, by picturing, deliberately picturing yourself somewhere. This goes for active imagination or, or journeying or any of these things. You know, have a place where you start, say, around a campfire in a, in a in a canyon or in a desert, somewhere that you go where you, you engage, you start the imagination process and then let it continue on. Sometimes you can be just kind of waiting there for it to start and then you have to kind of sometimes give it a push along. Yeah, it's going well. I'm enjoying it. We've another 25 to do, probably take us a year, but uh, we get there. And there's, you know, seems to be some sort of process happening, something working out that seems worth doing, uh, but ultimately I don't know where it's going because I can't as yet, so yeah. Azela, do you have any advice for someone that plans to hold a blog describing rituals they do? I do actually, and this is something I probably didn't do myself. So I uh, do as I say, not as I do. And um, I tend to do it more now, is that, I would suggest that you don't do the write-up until the thing is entirely finished, rather than talking about it while it's going on. And that's not always going to be true, but it, you know, I have kind of come from that approach, because I noticed when I was doing, say, the Hyper Sigil of Dem, which is a comic I did a number of years ago, which is very, you know, in the style of Grant Morrison, where I was trying to affect change in the world. And ultimately, I kind of felt that it failed. And I did the write-up, and I had the whole thing that it was, you know, a failed kind of Hyper Sigil, I didn't get where I want. And it ultimately, then subsequently turned out that I was still in the middle of it. And so I then had to do it like a postscript of it, say, well, it did actually all work out exactly as I had hoped and had wanted, like exactly. And so there's a kind of a tendency, I suppose, then when you're, if you're writing up in the middle of things, that there might be that you will see them as failed because you can't see the entire big picture as yet. But then there is the kind of notion that you could learn an awful lot by writing things down as you go along you know, like the magical diary and seeing where you went wrong, what you didn't do, you know. I often look back at some of the things from my diaries or from the blogs and go, oh, I forgot all about that. And it was very relevant. 
and I knew it was relevant at the time. And other stuff I didn't know was relevant at the time and it's very relevant now. So there's a lot to be said for both sides. Like say when we were doing the Star Ruby thing and I did a weekly post. I think that's kind of fits in with the, because it seemed that that's kind of worked out as chunks. And if, you know, each week seemed a bit complete in itself. And then a final post that was the whole revelation of uh, my Holy Guardian Angel stuff. If you're putting it up, put it up with, the with no expectation. If you're writing a blog, that's what you're doing. You, you, your guarantee is that you get to write a blog. Your guarantee is not that you get people to read your blog, that to become famous or, if that's your wish, I, I don't know why anyone would want that, um, or to be successful or to make money out of it. What is your actual agenda with doing a blog? Is it to document what you're doing? Then you can succeed in that easily because you just have to document what you're doing. But is it really that you want to get notoriety from it or attention from it? Then that's kind of separate because you're going, that's going to inform the way you write and what you kind of do. Are you trying to do what someone else done? And are you, are you speaking in your own voice? Are you secretly wanting to be a YouTuber or a podcast or, or whatever? And all of these things are fine. If you know up front that's what you're going to do, if you're going, I'm writing this blog as a stepping stone towards putting together a book, so I want to have a bit of work beforehand as I you know, put in a proposal for a book, or I'm going to be getting into podcasting, I'm going to be getting into merchandising, and I end up do, wanting to do money, or to make money out of it all. Brilliant, fine, I have to go like that. But don't kind of pretend going into it, oh, I just want to document my work, I document my rituals, and then get annoyed when all the other stuff isn't coming, when you're not get, getting the attention, you're not getting you know, the, the stuff that is what you secretly, or I was gonna say underhandedly, that's not unfair, that you, uh, you know, subconsciously possibly are really looking for. Um, I feel that, that that's mostly informed from web comics when I was doing web comics, including my own mistakes, but seeing around others, the people wanted, didn't really want to do web comics, they wanted to be, you know, they wanted money, they wanted to have a business, they wanted to, um, sell things or you know or almost be famous or whatever more than draw, wanting to draw or write there's a great line in a scroobius pip song where he's talking about that more people want to be writers than people who actually like writing and i think there's a big thing in that that you have to want to do it you have to like if you're going to do a blog do you like writing do you like documenting or do you just like the kind of feel that would come from being a person who did that and an awful lot of people are chasing the feel rather than doing the work because it's a lot of work doing the blog it's a lot of work writing up all these things and you have to love writing. You have to love using WordPress or whatever it is you do. I do not love using WordPress. But you have to be willing to engage with all of that. So, long short, what am I saying? Have a kind of a conversation with yourself about why, what, what stage you're doing the write-ups. Is it at the end of the ritual after a period of time has elapsed so that you know whether it has worked or not? Are you going to do it stage by stage? And if you are doing it by stage by stage, be aware that you know, you're in, within a process and what looks like a failure mightn't be and so not to give up. If you have five weeks planned of a ritual, don't give up on week three because your first three blog posts were going, well, nothing happened. It has to be, you know, you have to follow through and all that. Then check why you're doing the things. What is it your ultimate goal is? Is it to document or is there something else that I'm actually looking for? And if there is something else that you're looking for, be honest about it and move towards that as quick as you can, being the thing that you actually want. And then finally, do you actually want to do it? Do you enjoy doing it? Is it something that you think you could do for a while that would get you enjoyment? Like, do you like writing? Do you like doing blogs? Do you like doing rituals? That kind of stuff. So I hope that helps. There's plenty of other, other, other things I probably could have mentioned, but that's what's in my mind at the moment. Abraxas. 
at what point does not forcing the art become not making art? Any tips on kickstarting inspiration? I think if you find that you're not doing the art, or you're not doing something that you feel that you should be doing, you have to question why you're doing it. And there's two kind of places where it's, the answer to this is going to be different. If you're doing it just solely for yourself and you're not feeling it and you're not, you're really not into it, but there's this kind of pressure to finish it, whatever, I would say just drop it. Drop whatever it is. Maybe come back to it, maybe not. Just take the pressure off entirely. If it's just for creativity's sake or to get, you know, these things out there that are within you and you feel you have to force it, then I'd say it's probably not the time or not for you. Steve Vai has a great thing about practicing guitar and he says that for him he had to practice, he had to practice, he practiced 10 to 12 hours a day and to be to the level of Steve Vai you would have to do that. But his point is that he wanted to do it. It wasn't a punishment, it wasn't a chore, it wasn't homework. It's just he found himself doing that because he loved it so much and he was enjoying it, he was going with the flow, he was doing his true will, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, so if you're finding that you're struggling and pushing back against a particular thing, question whether or not that is you know, what you want to be doing, really. Now, it's easy also to fall for like procrastination and laziness and all these things. So check that you make sure it's not just that. But if there's something bigger than that, then you have to kind of have a look at why you're having this re reaction to something that should be bringing you, in all, in all cases, joy or expansion or whatever. However, if it's for someone else and it's for money and it's for work or it's something like that, then you just have to buckle down, get the head down and just do it. And you, you learn from doing that a number of times that you can in fact turn on inspiration in a kind of a way or at least some sort of functional creativity that allows you to get through and finish the project. It is harder and but you know the excuse of I'm not really feeling it doesn't really come into it when you have bills to pay or you have contracts signed or you have an obligation to someone else because you said you would do it. But again even if it comes to the point that it's you're losing sleep over it or it's a real pressure on you something. Maybe have a look about seeing if you can pull yourself out of it. General inspiration, what I like to do is if I want to start a new project, want to do something new, want new, something new creative, say it's a comic, say it's uh, music, say it's whatever, that I start kind of, first of all, just have the idea. Let the idea just sit there. I want to do something, you know, and then kind of see what stuff around you is interesting you. At the minute I'm, I'm recording, I'm just about to start recording another EP or possibly an album dependent because there's two things I want to do and I knew I wanted there was a bit of music, there were some pieces of music that were coming and uh, so rather than kind of enforce what I wanted on it I just allowed it to be whatever it was, see what it was and what I noticed I was starting to listen to an awful lot of like folk horror soundtracks, I was starting to get that kind of aesthetic, that kind of feel. I was playing my acoustic guitar an awful lot more than my electric guitar. All oh, right, this is the direction it's going in. So then I kind of cultivated that and started, you know, learning a bit more by listening, you know, properly to how the structure of these folk horror music uh, soundtracks and songs and what is it that makes the sound of the guitar sound folk horror-y rather than, um, I don't know, extreme mode modes or whatever, the standard for acoustic guitars, for acoustic songs. You know, and, and so you're then you're cultivating, you're building up with it. And then eventually what came out of that was five instrumental songs that just kind of arrived from nowhere or I remembered or wherever ideas come from, wherever songs come from. But it all started with allowing that I wanted to do something, just seeing what arrived. Was, was I into it? Was I you know, gravitating towards it? Was I enjoying it? Was it easy? Was it flowing through me? Did I find myself working on it without having to force it, without having to feel, oh, I better do something about this? And then it just generally came out. That happened the same with Turbine Syndrome. It happened a bit with them, although there was a bit more of a kind of a 
point with the you know with the hypersilginess of them. Certainly songs and that kind of stuff just for me and that kind of creativity come and you have to allow them to come. You'd be see yourself as a conduit rather than someone who is forcing the song, putting together. Rather I had known an awful lot of people who when I worked with um, in the games who would say it would describe and they were designers or artists or illustrators or whatever. But the, the kind of so I see myself as an engineer, as a craftsman, and that's the complete opposite of how I work. It's that I don't see myself as an engineer, as a craftsman. I'm not putting things together. I'm not, you know, seeing it, I suppose, in irrational terms or going, well, this section usually works, or, you know, this type of chord change, you know, as if you're coming from a, from a, a very structural point of view or theoretical point of view. Well, I know all of that stuff, and I, I, I'm not going to lie and say I don't, I certainly do know it, and it informs all I do. It's not how I'm approaching it, I'm allowing it to be whatever it is, to grow, you know, in the most woo way possible. So I'd say if you want to kickstart inspiration is to start by saying I want to be inspired, and then start noticing what happens around you, and then as soon as you start noticing something happen around you, then start cultivating that, and then start moving forward while considering yourself a conduit rather than an engineer or craftsman that you're putting stuff together. You're more, see yourself more as a revealer, a rememberer, yeah, as a conduit. It's the best I can have to. Some days suck, some days you just can't do art. Just can't, can't be creative. Uh, some of those days are days you have to work. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's such is life. And that was the questions, and that was my answers. As I said at the beginning, this is the first half. There will be a follow-up video where we'll answer the rest of the questions that people have sent me, either over on Discord or on Patreon. If you like what I'm doing here or any of the other things I do over at adventuresinwooboo.com, be that Tasta, be it the comics, be it the 40 Servants, be it the music, be it the photography, or any of these things, and you'd like to support me, then there's plenty of ways of doing that. Um, all the links will be in the show description, from joining the Patreon, to sharing the videos, the podcasts, um, to buying me a book on my Amazon wishlist, to you know, getting the, the five-year bundle, which is all of my stuff, pay what you want, to buying a deck, buying you know, a, the Grimoire of 40 Servants, just sending me money, whatever it is you want to do. Or I now have super tanks on the channel, on the YouTube, where you can leave a comment and also leave money. But don't feel you have to. I, do, I enjoy doing all of this, and uh, it was something I probably would do anyway. But all of it, the donations, the money, all that really does help to be able to continue doing it and to continue doing it to an ever-increasing, hopefully, standard. And I do really appreciate it. Literally, without you good people, I don't get to do any of this. So um, I'm eternally grateful and much appreciated. So good people of the internet, until next time, may you have a wonderful week. May our best days be ahead and be well. Mm -hmm.